Hello and uh, welcome to our quarterly podcast. I'm Helen Watson, CEO of the UK Wealth Management Business, and I'm joined today by our global investment strategist, uh, Victor Balfour, and our co-head of portfolio management, Hugo Capel-Cure, who you're all very used to. Um, as usual, uh, what we do is sit down at the end of the quarter to discuss the last three months, both from a macro perspective and also uh, markets and what we've done in portfolios. So the third quarter of this year has been a little bit quieter than in uh, recent quarters, which is probably not a bad thing. Um, Markets have corrected a bit in September, partly driven on fears around inflation, which we'll talk about. And we will talk about how we've sort of got portfolios positioned um, as, as we stand at the moment. So... Victor, starting with you, you know, as we said, um, quieter, but perhaps a little bit tougher uh, environment for markets over the last quarter. What, what's been going on? Um, indeed, it was a more challenging quarter for capital markets really across the board. Um, stocks were down alongside bonds and, and even gold. Uh, commodities were the only exception to this, but really this was principally driven by uh, oil and natural gas prices, which have moved quite a lot higher. Um, and there seemed to really be a number of things that started to weigh on sentiment as we entered September. Signs of, of slowing economic momentum, um, a revival in inflationary concerns, and we're starting to see bond yields register a little bit more inflation risk at the moment. Uh, and of course, fears over China's corporate debt bubble, um, given the distress in its leveraged property sector. In the background, of course, COVID continued to have a sort of uneven impact. Um, contagion has been at uncomfortably high levels in places like the UK, Uh, and the US, but uh, do seem to be trending lower. Um, Thankfully, though, fatalities haven't yet followed the same trajectories we saw earlier in the year, uh, which means governments haven't really had to reintroduce some of those restrictive measures. The political developments were as noisy as ever, but really with little market impact. Uh, We saw German German voters rebuke the longstanding CDU party. Uh, In the US, the debt ceiling debacle proved to be another non-event, at least least so far. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, kicking the can down the road, absolutely. Um, but perhaps most prominent on that sort of wall of worry is the apparent energy crisis uh, and now talk of stagflation. Our view is that growth has been merely postponed, not, not cancelled. Um, some of the hard data, things like retail spending, the housing sector, uh, they continue to deliver strong growth. And even the sort of more timely business survey data uh, suggests we're firmly uh, in expansionary territory. Of course, it's not all plain sailing. The labour markets across the major economies Um, have continued to tighten, which is clearly a good thing, uh, but some shortages are now emerging. Um, And, you know, for some of that is due to the government support schemes, which are probably distorting that underlying picture. Of course, linked into this idea of shortages, we we know that supply has also been hit. Um, So we've seen weak industrial output in places like Germany uh, and Japan, and this has certainly weighed on growth. For now, our sort of view is that developed world economic activity mostly continues to grow, albeit more slowly. Output has already returned to pre-crisis levels in the US, uh, the Europe and the UK will likely follow later this year. Uh, And of course, the kind of consequence of all this is that corporate profits have continued to move higher. Uh, We had a bumper second quarter earnings season and we saw further upward revisions into into this quarter. So coming back to inflation, we've seen echoes of the 1970s, I guess. Um, as we've seen sort of queues at petrol station forecourts in the UK. I have to say, driving an electric car, I did feel a bit smug. Um, <laughs> but is, is that something that we should be, is it something we should be worrying about? I think the situation is qualitatively different to the 70s in both scale uh, and duration. Um, at the time of the oil embargo and surging oil prices, this hit both output and growth. Uh, governments failed to keep interest rates uh, above inflation. 
which undermined monetary credibility. And of course, industrial relations were grim uh, and this added to pressures on profitability. Today, what we're seeing is that aggregate demand is still robust. But of course, we're seeing this in the context of an uneven reopening of the economy. We're seeing bottlenecks appear as those labor and component shortages uh, occur, and of course, firmer commodity prices alongside this. Uh, and all of this is sort of placing up the pressure on, on prices at the moment. Now, many of those headline consumer price indices are at close or even longer decade and decade highs at the moment. Uh, and given the surge in energy prices, it's possible we haven't quite yet seen uh, the peak in that sort of transitory uh, component. However, I think our sort of view here is that we still see many of these factors uh, as temporary and not having lasting upward pressure uh, on prices. Uh, of course, longer term, as and when you know, that spare capacity is eventually used up and the labor market reaches full employment, we may well start to see some of those inflationary pressures uh, build once again. So, Hugo, you know, we've talked about the quarter being a bit more difficult. Um, both stocks and bonds came off. How, how did the portfolios behave? So portfolios were broadly flat over the last three months. Uh, they were up in July and August, but then gave up the gains uh, in September. Uh, and as usual, all of these numbers are, ba- are for the balanced portfolios or the new court funds. So for the third quarter, sterling portfolios were essentially flat. Uh, dollar portfolios were down around half a percent and euro portfolios were up around half a percent. And the differences are really driven by currency with some weakness in the euro. So overall, this leaves returns of around 10, 11 and 13 percent respectively for sterling dollar and euro portfolios so far this year. And coming back to the inflation debate, Victor said it's transitory. <laughs> we'll hold you to that, Victor. But, you know, look, markets are definitely beginning to worry about it more, right? Rightly or wrongly. How's that impacting the portfolios? Well, it's early days on the inflation front. However, it is something that we view as a risk, uh, particularly as we aim to grow our clients' wealth in real terms, in other words, after inflation. So um, looking back over the last three months, I can pick out a few interesting developments. So if I take the diversifying assets first, the best performance this year is coming from the trend followers. So this really shouldn't be a surprise. After all, what inflation is, is a trend itself. It's it's a trend of prices uh, going up. So the two CFM funds and the Abbey Focus Fund were up some 7, 10 and 3% for the quarter. And if we take the Abbey Focus Fund, this is now up 16% for the year. And all of that performance, 100% of the performance has come from their long exposure to the energy markets, so from oil and gas. So if inflation comes from commodities, as it did in the 1970s, for example, then trend followers are well-placed to capitalize on these trends. The other noteworthy development on the diversifying side is the performance coming from the Inflation Focus Fund. And this is invested in both inflation-linked bonds, primarily US tips, but also so-called break-even inflation ETFs. And these break-even inflation ETFs are interesting instruments that go long inflation-linked government bonds and short nominal government bonds. And by doing this, they're a good proxy for the market's expectations for a future inflation. And the fund, the IFF, owns these in both the dollars and in euro government bond markets, and their performance has been ticking upwards. 
Hugo, and I guess this sort of just reinforces this point about the diversifiers, about diversifying the diversifiers, right? Because, you know, different assets will behave differently at different times. And that's one of the reasons why we think about it that way. Well, absolutely right. I mean, we always say that we can predict that uh, that things might might happen in markets, but we can't predict the path. Yeah. And there's a very you know, we get a very different response to a crash in markets or 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 a slump in markets. So we are we're looking to um, spread the bets and spread the diversification. Sorry, I interrupted you. You were going to talk about equities, I think. Yes, and finally, just in terms of inflation, um, I'll give a comment on the equities as well, with the reminder that we're only seeing signs of inflation so far. Uh, and coming back to Victor's points, it's it's by no means yet in an embedded trend. What we're seeing on the equity side is a flip-flopping between so-called growth and value. And, you know, really companies trading on higher and lower uh, valuations. And the companies that are expected to generate better growth and accordingly are trading, are trading on higher valuation multiples also have more of their value further into the future. So days when the market is fretting about inflation also tend to be days when this future value or jam tomorrow uh, can get penalised and the market would rather own jam today. In, in the form of more cyclical or value exposures. And at a portfolio level, we do not have a big growth or value tilt, but we have been nudging the portfolio more towards some of these more cyclical exposures over the, over the last year. So an example of one investment that we've trimmed last year for these very reasons was Bears, the US manager that buys high growth, such as technology companies. And this fund has come under a bit of pressure recently so down 7% last quarter and flat for the year. And the flip but side... Having done it, very well last year. Having done very well yeah. last year. And, and some of the valuations looked a bit stretched. Yeah. And so we were happy to, uh, to uh, take some money off the table. And the flip side of this is the much maligned banks, Lloyds and Wells Fargo, which we see as both value and pro-cyclical. So we added to these last spring too early as it turns out, but they're now performing better. So up one and three percent over the quarter and 30 and 55 percent so uh, so far this year. Um, you used the expression flip-flopping um, between so-called growth and value. Victor, just that whole debate, growth, value, Hugo talked about nudging the portfolios, you know, is there an argument for sort of advocating a big shift? Are we sort of seeing that? What, what are your thoughts? I think a bit of history here is important. Um, growth has been outperforming value for really for much of the past 14 years. Uh, and we've seen a really quite a large valuation gulf open between uh, these two different segments. That's more about growth getting expensive than value being unusually cheap per se. There are tentative signs of this sort of revival in some value sac- sectors underway at the moment, energy, materials, and of course the financials as well. Um, but we have seen false dawns before. Uh, we did witness yeah. one in the first quarter of this year. Uh, and of course, growth stocks charged ahead once again. So why are we seeing this rotation now? And I guess what's our view? I guess I guess it partly reflects the point of the economic cycle, uh, but also that interest rate story and, and, and those higher bond yields that we're starting uh, to see now. Now, equities, of course, arguably one of the sort of longest duration asset classes, um, but prospective long-term growth rates vary tremendously by industry. And at the long end of the sort of duration spectrum, those companies expected to deliver a higher proportion of future cash flows into the distant future, uh, they're potentially most sensitive to any change in interest rates. And on this basis, technology, uh, which forms a big part of that growth cohort, would seem to be most vulnerable. 
As we sit here today, I guess the yield curve is steepening, inflation expectations are firming, and of course, underlying earnings are growing pretty briskly. And I think we might top down, share some of uh, Hugo's thoughts here. If we do start to see a faster normalization rates and that economic momentum continues, then certainly we can see a sort of tactical case for those more uh, cyclical and value uh, orientated sectors. Hugo, you talked about bears, you talked about Lloyds and, and Wells Fargo, sort of laggards and leaders from the return asset side. So starting with the winners, but I'm sure you'll hold my feet to the fire with the with the laggards as well. Yep. The the winners have been largely idiosyncratic, so really driven more for individual stock rather than broader market reasons. So the big one in percentage terms is the spin-off from Constellation Software called Topicus, uh, which has announced some interesting bolt-on acquisitions, very much, uh, in fact, following the tried and tested uh, Constellation model. So these shares were up 48% uh, for the quarter. Sadly, it's only a relatively small position, but, but it, it is getting bigger for obvious reasons. Uh, and the other big winner was another relatively new position, Eurofins Testing. Uh, it has enjoyed the pandemic enormously, uh, and it increasingly looks like testing uh, in all of its forms will become a way of life, sadly. Every time I've been to an airport, I've seen a Eurofin sort of little thing well, set up for people to have their, the have con- their tests. The constellation is that it's, it's in portfolios. Yeah. Uh, and the big laggard continues to be China, and more specifically, the Vanda fund owned in portfolios. So Vanda was down 26% over the quarter, and 32% for the year to date. So similar to the Bears Fund, we we like the approach and the names held, but we felt last year that the stocks were getting a bit frothy. Uh, That's why we trimmed both the Bears and the Vanda Funds. Uh, And in the case of Vanda, that froth has well and truly been blown off with some of the stocks like condiment maker Yihai down more than 50% from its peak. So as things stand today, we think the Vanda portfolio is an attractive one and now more interestingly valued. So we have put uh, most of the money we took out last year back in uh, and the team at Cedarberg, who managed the fund, have also been adding to their holdings in in the public fund, which we think is an encouraging sign as well. So China's been, you know, had an interesting interesting quarter. Um, Victor, you and Kevin have written quite a lot about it. What's What's your view? I think there are several big things shaping sentiments at the moment. Um, Concerns over slowing growth, um, the regulatory clampdown, and of course, uh, the elephant in the room, um, Evergrande and and the sort of wider property sector. Um, Just for context, the MSCI MSCI China index has staged a a bit of a comeback in recent weeks, um, but it's still down about 14% against um, stock markets, which are up about global stock markets, which are up about 12% year to date. I think there are sort of two things to think about here, the sort of systemic risks on the one hand and the sort of investment sort of outlook on the other. Taking that first point, I think the Evergrande default is clearly some way off from being resolved. And there are signs that another property developer, Fantasia, mm-hmm. is also in some distress at the moment. However, the sort of broader Lehman type fallout is likely contained uh, as we see it. As long as Beijing and the, the PBOC continue to uh, bolster liquidity and underpin stability, uh, the risk of spillover effects, sort of either domestically or internationally, uh, seems limited. Um, that isn't, of course, to say that Evergrande's too big to fail, uh, but I think policymakers will intervene to prevent sort of compromising systemic risks. As for China's investment appeal, uh, I think clearly it's lost some of its sheen. I guess what's unsettled markets this time round is the speed that Beijing can implement regulatory changes. I guess the question we have to ask is do these enforcement risks 
outweigh that longer term structural story. Growth is indeed slowing in China, but it's still likely more than double the developed world going forwards. Uh, and valuations in light of the setback are now, I guess, relatively inexpensive. Um, and our view, I guess, to that sort of lens is that even that near term investment case, if it, even if it has been hurt, um, that longer term structural case remains uh, intact. Hugo, going back to performance again, um, we touched on the diversifiers. You said the CTAs have been doing well. Sort of more generally in terms of the diversifying assets, we said, you know, we diversify the diversifiers. Presumably some of them have not been doing quite so well as well, given markets have been strong. Absolutely. So they've, they've, they've been a mixed bag overall. Um, so, yes, I mean, I've mentioned the positive contribution from the trend followers and the inflation focus fund. How, however, the investments that we have in place for a stock market crash uh, have continued to cost performance in the environment of declining volatility, which is which is what we would expect. So the Acura Fund and the Artemis Volatility Fund were down five and a half and four and a half percent, respectively, for the quarter. Uh, and the put options lost values then moved towards their expiry dates. And we've been dragging our, our heels in replenishing the put options this year. So really, we prefer to take profits from equities as the main way of controlling risk. However, because they've been expensive, because they've been expensive and also in some cases, the equities have performed very, very strongly and it's felt natural to, yeah. to take a bit of money off the table. However, you know, we are opportunists. So if, if a market volatility continues to drift lower, then we'll probably start to buy some, uh, some more. Overall, the diversifying assets were something of a wash, so they contributed about 1% for the quarter. Mm-hmm. And Vanda, you talked about um, adding to that given the recent falls. Any other recent changes? Well, they've been sort of more tweaks than, than the major changes. Nudging. So <laughs> Nudging, absolutely. So we trimmed um, the position in the plant hire company Ashted, which, is, which has been a, a stellar performer. Um, so this is one that we added to at £17 last year. And then we trimmed it uh, uh, in July at £53. Um, we used the 1% that we took out of Ashton to top up both the Eurofins and Constellation software positions, um, both of which have actually done very well since then. And we felt that the risk return for all three of these stocks was broadly similar. So we just wanted to balance up the uh, weightings a bit. Aside from that, we topped up the holdings in the trend following funds. So given my earlier comments about how they're valuable inflation hedges, we wanted to make sure that we had um, sufficient weightings in, uh, in, in them. And Ashton's a great example, isn't it, of that sort of deep research that we do, you know, being able to buy it in the sort of teeth of what looked like potentially a crisis during the COVID downturn last year. You know, being able to do that because we know the company so well is is something that we you know we talk about, but it's very nice to actually see it actually well, see it happen. It is so. I mean, yes. I mean, buying it at seventeen pounds looks fine now, but we bought it at seventeen pounds, yeah, no, no. and a week later it was at eleven pounds. Yeah, yeah, I remember. So uh, <laughs> it didn't it didn't feel uh, great. Uh, it didn't feel great last year. I say great because I'm thinking of my own hair actually. <laughs> it's moments it's like that. Very nice hair, Hugo. <laughs> it's moments like that where it sort of shifts from grey into completely white. But no, I mean it, it wasn't easy. But but we but we had a we had a you know we were, had a strong conviction that. Because you knew the business very well. Absolutely. Um, Victor, you know, crystal ball time, um, shifting to looking ahead. What are are your thoughts? Okay, so I think, you know, our working view at the moment is that those COVID concerns will continue to fade uh, as we progress into into next year. Uh, Economies globally will will further open up and I think business as usual will continue to resume. Inflation may not yet have peaked, but I think those stagflationary fears 
uh, may start to dissipate as some of those transitory factors start to ease and, and I guess, growth uh, gathers momentum once again. From a sort of top-down perspective, we still think stocks have um, the edge over bonds. Market valuations aren't cheap, but some headroom has been regained following the recent modest setback. And certainly in the context of bond yields, despite their modest revival so far, they're still far below um, prospective inflation rates. I think just looking further out, we may well start to see the market focus on that tug of war between earnings and interest rates. Uh, But in the context of strong growth and, and hopefully return to moderate inflation, uh, this is still a favourable environment for stocks. Thank you. Um, Hugo, my favourite question. What are you most excited about? Well, this might sound odd, uh, but uh, <laughs> I, I, I'm, I'm excited by what we're doing on the diversifying side. Um, so periods... I think that's the first time you've ever said that. <laughs> Great. Um, I'll have to check. <laughs> I mean, periods of market transition, for example, to a regime of higher inflation can throw up some interesting opportunities. So we'll be coming back to this next quarter as we have a new idea in the works. Aside from that, I'm excited to see some of the more cyclical areas come back to life. Uh, This is why we topped up the Lansdowne Fund a few months ago. And there are some neglected corners of the markets, which is showing definite signs of life. And then aside from that, we continue to turn over stones. And in some cases, we're really identifying great businesses, but where the valuations are quite full. But, but we can add these onto our wish list and then wait for the market to give us an opportunity to, to buy them. Thank you. So, um, look, re- returns have been very strong year to date. I know I'm the one who always says, um, you know, I hope it continues, but I would caution that, uh, you know, returns won't always be this good. Thank you very much for listening. I hope you enjoyed it. Uh, we try and touch on the topics that we think you'll be concerned about or, or hopefully interested in. Um, please do keep sending through any questions. We'll always try and incorporate those. Um, you can speak to your client advisor. They'll be very happy to kind of discuss anything in more detail. Our podcasts are available on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. So um, if you want to receive them as soon as they're released or listen to some other podcasts, please subscribe to our channel on either of those platforms. And um, thank you, Victor and Hugo. And thank you, everyone, for listening. Please note, this audio content is produced by Rothschild & Co. for information purposes only. The podcast is not provided as a solicitation, recommendation or invitation to buy or sell any security, fund or any other banking or investment product. Nothing in this podcast constitutes advice of any sort and no responsibility is accepted in relation to the content accuracy or any reliance on the information provided. The value of investments and the income from them can go down as well as up and you may not recover the amount of your original investment. Past performance should not be taken as a guide to future performance. This content should only be used or reproduced with the express written permission of Rothschild & Co.